We are Craig and Lainey Soderberg, and as part of your international staff, having been sent out as ministers of the gospel by Lake Avenue Church, we bring you greetings from our faith family where we normally live and work, which is Southeast Asia. We're so glad to be back here in Pasadena for a brief time among our Lake Avenue family. Our scripture reading today is found in John 13, verses 1 to 17. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And this was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much. It's good to have the Soderbergs home with us, and I hope you'll make sure you'll greet them in these few days we get to have them with us. Well, this uh, morning uh, we begin to consider what Jesus did and what he said to the people closest to him on, on that last day before he was going to the cross. Yeah, he knew he was going to die, and so it all starts in John 13, verse 1, 
And the next five chapters are going to have these words, sort of like a banner over them all, in which John would say, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he... So what did he do? What did he say? Now, it's kind of an irony for me that I began <coughs> excuse me, preparing for this message uh, when I was with my father just before uh, he died. And um, he said, I don't think I'm going to make it this time, Greg. And I finished preparing this message because I was wanting to do it last week. But I, I finished the message that I'm talking to you about today after he had passed away. So I, there's little doubt in my mind that uh, this last day of Jesus and that experience that I had in my own life, that somehow uh, what Jesus says here will be shaped by what I experienced with my father. Now, for those of you who are um, newer to the church or perhaps you haven't read the Gospel of John for a while, uh, John was one of the disciples who was with Jesus uh, at that time. And um, in his book that he would write, the Gospel of John, uh, the first 12 chapters, he tells us about the life of Jesus and, and what he remembered from that and what God brought back to his mind. But what Jesus had done in his ministry was completed in John chapter 12 and at the end. Uh, and Jesus essentially will say, this is why I've come and to do what I'm doing, uh, to save you. Uh, I have come as a light, he said, so that you don't have to stay in the darkness. But he had told them over and over again, in order for him to actually save them and us, he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and die uh, on the cross. So, so John had told us about his life that he'd lived up to that point. But actually, the time where Jesus actually goes to the cross, to the crucifixion, isn't told until John 18. So we have this entire section from John 13:1 to the end of chapter 17, in which Jesus simply is sitting down with his disciples and he is talking with them about how they're supposed to live when they no longer have Jesus physically present. Five whole chapters. There's nothing like this in the rest of the Gospels uh, where Jesus in such a personal way sits down with the people that he loves the most and essentially he's going to say, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Um, and that's why I've called this series, sometimes we're knocked down but not out. We don't have to have our hearts be troubled because Jesus knew that after he would go to the cross, there would be this period of time before he would come back again. And that this period of time is going to sometimes have difficulties for us. And he wanted his disciples to know how they should live. And I'll tell you, I think these five chapters are as relevant for us as they were for them. Because we still live in a time where, where this world is hard and difficult. And we, we're not quite sure how we're supposed to live. And Jesus isn't physically present. Do you see what he's doing? It, it's, it's just like a parent who loves his child. Saying, I'm going. But, but this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. So these are some of the most important passages in the entire Bible. And we're going to look at them all the way up to Easter. And I don't want you to miss a week. That means I need to try to be here all the time too, right? I know that that's true. So we come to the very first part of it. These first 17 verses. Uh, let me tell you about that too. At this, they, they take, all of this takes place in the famous upper room. 
where Jesus meets with his disciples to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem just before he's going to be going to the cross. So you've almost got to imagine what happened that particular day. Um, you can read through the Gospels and you, and you can find that out. Jesus had already known what he was going to do and had, preparations had been made in this upper room. So as the disciples and Jesus all come into this place and go up to that upper room, everything is ready. Um, the food is all there. Uh, the table is there. So they, they walk into that place, but something is missing. Uh, they walk through with their sandals, the, the streets of Jerusalem, and, and they're dirty. And usually there's a place where you're, you're supposed to get your feet washed. If you were in a wealthier Jewish home, it would be a slave who would wash your feet. It, but that slave would never be a Jewish person. Because Jewish people wouldn't let Jewish servants wash feet. It was too demeaning. That, that's how lowly the, this was. But, but there was no one there to do that. In a poorer home... There would simply be a basin uh, uh, there and some water and a towel and you would wash your own feet. Anyway, in a Jewish setting, you weren't supposed to eat with dirty feet. It's kind of like your mom telling you, don't eat with those dirty hands. (laughs) There, because they had to walk through all the dirt and sand that was was there in Jerusalem, they had to make sure their feet were clean. But there was nothing there. So you can imagine what it was like sitting around the table. Jesus gathered them around and they would be lying on the table. I have a picture of, of what it probably looked like up here. They, they would be reclining on these pallets and the small tables there in front of them. The, this piece of art is probably closer to what it looked like than Da Vinci's The Last Supper. Have you ever seen it where everybody's sitting on one side of the table looking in one? It wasn't like that. It was more like this. With all of these dirty feet being pointed to the outside, not being washed. When? Yeah, you, you got a picture of this, right? Uh, when Jesus stands up and takes off his outer cloak... A Jewish man in public settings always wore these cloaks, these robes. Only a slave wouldn't have one on. And he took it off and he had on that inner clothing of a slave. And he picked up a towel and he began to go around and wash feet. I, I don't know. I try to picture being there. There must have been like a stunned uh, silence. What is he doing? It must have been felt humiliating. We've, we've given up everything to follow this person and he's acting like a slave. He can't, he can't do that. He went around until finally uh, he gets to Peter. And you know, Peter always spoke, sometimes before he thought. So as Jesus got to him, at least I picture it. He said, wait a minute, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? No, no, you, I don't, you're not going to wash my feet. And, and Jesus stops and he says to him, uh, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but someday you're going to understand. So here we are, Lake Avenue Church, 2,000 years later. Do you understand? (laughs) Do you understand what Jesus was doing? Well, John, who wrote about this, took some of the words of Jesus, took the actions of Jesus, he looked back on it. And today we're going to start with this. Uh, As I told you, it's come to mean so much to me as I've read it in the light of the fact that when a person doesn't have very long to live, we talk about the most important things. And here we have Jesus talking to us about the most important things. And, and it starts with something that he does. It, it is a visual symbol. On one side, he's just washing some filthy feet. But it's obvious that it means so much more than this because in just a, a day from this, he's going to become a slave in a very different way. He is going to go and bear our sins on a cross 
and offer us not just cleansing of our feet, but the cleansing from the sins that we so much need in order to have eternal life with God. And John looks back on that and he says, this, this symbol in history that Jesus does of taking out a towel and becoming a slave declares to us several things that we dare not forget as we live for Jesus in this time between his crucifixion and his return. So what does it declare? Just number one, it is a declaration to you and me that Jesus loves us. Number two, it is a symbol of what this salvation is all about and that, that there is continuing work that he's going to have to do in our lives of keeping us clean before we are presented blameless before the Father. It's a, it, it is a declaration of love. It is a symbol of our very salvation. And third, it is an example to you and me of how we're supposed to live. He, he's going to talk to us specifically about other er, areas, but there's one thing that must characterize your life and mine too if we are followers of Jesus. So that's what I want to think about as we start this section today. Ready? So, uh, with Jesus being away... What does he want you to know when you come to church at Lake Avenue today? And the first thing he wants you to know and I want you to know and that John just communicates to us here, it's in verse 1, is that Jesus loves you. Uh, Whatever you're going through this morning, uh, even if you have been failing miserably before coming to church, he wants you to know and to never forget that whatever happens, Jesus loves you. There's one phrase. If you have a Bible in verse 1, you should probably just mark it. Uh, it's placed at the very beginning of what is called this farewell discourse, his last words, to, to tell us something that we've got to hold on to in this, this world. And this is what he says. Having loved his own who were in the world, his own, he loved them to the end. What, what do you think of that phrase? Do you, do you think it's beautiful? So here's, what, here's essentially the way I read Here's what John says. We've been watching the way that, that Jesus loves us all of these years with him. The, the way when we messed up, he was ready, ready to forgive us. And if you read about these disciples, they were as dense as rocks. I mean, Jesus would teach them things and he would forget it in the very next sentence. How patient He was for us. How much He was willing to step into our lives and and guide us. And having experienced His love, we can know this, that looking into the future, whatever happens to us, He loves us. He loves His own and He will love us to the end. He will love us to the end. Now, the specific focus is that He loved His own disciples to those who were, his, who were his own. Now, this is not saying that Jesus doesn't love the world. Do you know, if you read the Gospel of John, there's this, in many places, but one powerful declaration that Jesus himself makes in John 3.16. God loves the world. And that love is going to be shown by Jesus uh, becoming our Savior because he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.16 and 17. So he loves the world. But here, there's something else that he's saying. You've got to listen to me. Even though God loves the entire world, when you and I surrender our lives to him and ask him to come in and he becomes our Savior and our Lord, what's being declared is that Jesus has a very unique and special love for you. Does that make any sense to you? That even though God loves the world, but, but once you have said... 
on Emma as you follow him in baptism, once you said all of me from head to toe in baptism, what, what Jesus declares to you is that I have a special and unique love for you that will never end. Again, look around. Does that make sense? It, it's hard for me to explain it, but I tell you I've experienced it. And once again, as I, I thought about my, my dad, uh, he loved people. He loved all people. Uh, he, he would enter into conversation with anybody, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of whether you didn't have any education or you had too much education. He just loved people. But I always knew this, uh, that he had a special love for me and my sister and for my brother before he died and for my mom before she died and for the rest of my family when I got married for my children, for my children's children. You get that, don't you? I mean, a real love for all people, but there's this focused, special love uh, that, that a father has for his family. And that's what Jesus is declaring here today. And I'll tell you, the disciples that he was talking to needed to know that. Uh, because they were going to go through some hard times where they wondered, does, does he love me? Uh, Peter was going to have a time of terrible failure, even rejecting Jesus, denying Jesus. Uh, but when he comes back, the love, he, he loves us to the end. Do you like that phrase? It is so powerful. You're with me, right? He, he loves you to the end. In one sense, that meant that even when Jesus would go to the cross, he's loving them to the end of that trip. When he was on the cross... Uh, which looked like an end to everybody. That was an act of love. He was there because of his love. And, and even after he's gone, and, and still there's a work to be done in you and me, and we are not whole, we are not complete, he is going to love you to the end. The disciples needed to know that and to hold on to it. And I just think, so do you and I. Because I'm telling you, this is a difficult world that we live in, isn't it? And sometimes, just like for the disciples, for you and me, there are things that happen in our lives that make no sense to us at all. Sometimes we wonder, has God forgotten me? And again, and we too, like Peter, just fail. And then we come back to church and think, well, if I turn back, will he really receive me again? I just declare to you that while we are here and Jesus is not physically present, this is the first thing the scripture wants you to know. That whatever has happened, Jesus loves you. I, I, I came away from this, just getting I came away from this thinking, I never want you to come to Lake Avenue Church without your pastor or somebody here telling you whatever's happened in your life. Jesus loves you. He has not given up on you. And he will love you to the end. Now, that brings us to the second thing, this, this taking out the towel and washing feet, is that declaration of his love for you. So whenever you read this text, I want you to remember that. But beyond that, it, it tells us something about that love to the end. Because the end that the Bible really talks about for you and me is that you and I are going to be complete in Christ. When, when Jesus uh, presents us before the Father, we are going to be declared blameless before the Father. Blameless before a pure and holy God. And, and you and I know one another, right? And we know, we look in the mirror and we know I'm not yet blameless. And so this interchange between Jesus and Peter that's so interesting is that, that Jesus isn't going to leave us uh, with dirty feet. 
Uh, he, he is not going to leave us broken. So if you've come today and there are things that have been still, still are wrong in your life, Jesus is committed not to leaving you where you are. He is going to make you to become what God created you to be. Hallelujah. Now, how does that play out? It's in that, that you, you have to read it through, this, this um, interface between Jesus and Peter. So he comes around and uh, Peter says, um, um, uh, you're not going to wash my feet. <laughs> I can do it myself. <laughs> and... Uh, and the first thing that he says is, no, you can't. No, you can't. So, so the clear message to you and me is, you and I desperately need forgiveness and cleansing. We need to be made right with God, and we can't do it ourselves. It, it, it took Jesus becoming a slave for us. There's no hope for you and me, apart from the sinless Son of God being willing to become a slave for us. To die on the cross. Do you see that? This is at the heart of the gospel. Our rescue, our cleansing, our being made right with God is not by my works. It is a gift of mercy and grace. And so when we come to, to church and we say that Jesus is the Lord of this place and the Savior of our lives, we're going to be a humble people. Because that acknowledgement that we needed Him to become a slave for us or there's no hope is such a humbling experience. So often... Uh, churches and people in churches are accused of being self-righteous and, and just proud and condemning and just telling everybody else out in the world how bad. We cannot be that way because, because one thing you and I are not is self-righteous. We can't. And that's, that's the first thing Peter had to see. And, and, and this, when you look at this towel and when you think about this, these first 17 verses, hold on to that. This is the thing that will send us out with the same kind of love for people and, and the same hope for anybody that Jesus had for us is that we have recognized that I can't do it myself. Peter had to grasp that. But the second thing is this. Sometimes as we get into this life and we've said, okay, I've received Jesus and he's declared me right with God. He's, he's cleansed me, but I failed again. I, I, guess I, 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 need to, I guess I need him to do it all over again. I need to be saved again. And that's what Peter says. Doesn't it sound like Peter? You must know people like Peter. Well, no, Peter, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, um, you don't even belong to me. Oh, Jesus then. You know, wash all of me. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Wash, wash everything. Do it totally. And, uh, and Jesus turns to him. And, and you can see this interchange uh, that he has with him. He says, the one who bathes does not need to wash except for his feet but it's completely clean. And Peter, you are clean. But not every one of you. One of you isn't. For he knew that one was going to betray him. And, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. So here's the illustration. I know this seems a little hard, <clears throat> but I think you can grasp this. It's like Jesus said, okay, uh, before coming to having our big dinner, uh, go out and take a, make sure you have a bath, take a good shower. But then from the time you were where you were and, and make it into the dinner, you've had to walk through the streets and you only your feet get dirty. And he said, you don't have to take another whole bath. you just got to get your feet cleaned up. And, and so he's using this as a, as a picture of what happens when we receive Jesus into our lives. Uh, he is the one who cleanses us. And, and so much of what is in baptism is, is, is signifying that, this wonderful cleansing. And that doesn't have to happen over and over again. 
You don't have to keep coming back and saying, oh no, I failed again, so I guess I need to be saved again. No, when you've really brought Jesus into your life, he declares you, but, well, I'll get back to the but in just a moment. It's obvious here that one of them had never been made bright with God. And that was, was Judas. But the, but the rest had, and Peter was one of them. So the, in this time, before you and I are made whole in Christ, there are going to be many times that we wonder if we really even belong to him. And Jesus wanted Peter to know, listen, when you brought me into your life, I stick, I stay. And the cleansing that I've done, it lasts. However, and it's always hard to understand, on this plane of where you and I live, isn't it true that even though we know we belong to Jesus and he has said, you are, you are my child, uh, you are right with God, you and I still go out into this dirty world and, and it's much, some of it's, we get involved in so much of what the world does. And so uh, we need to have him simply wash the feet. It's an application to our lives daily of what Jesus does on the cross and declares he's going to complete that this foot washing is, but still in this imperfect, sinful, dirty world, there are things in us that when we come, we need to make sure that we say, Jesus, that, that's not right. And he says, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to get that, that dirt off of your feet as well. And, and in that, he promises to do it. But it's only the feet that need to be washed. Now, even as, though this may be challenging to understand, experientially, you know what I'm talking about. This, this idea that we come to church and I know I belong to him. And, and he doesn't want us to always worry about that. Those that the Father has given me have come to me and, and nobody can take them out of my hands. And yet at the same time, uh, we have these areas where we walk away from him and it needs to be cleaned up. And so in that third point, it, it's very clear that you and I still need to be cleaned from that daily sins. And John, as I read it, in the letter, he would take this very same thing up, the letter that he would write later, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. He would say, it's like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, and using the same language of John 13, and to what? Cleanse us of what's not right. When Peter said, well, I don't need my feet washed, Jesus said, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't belong to me. And, and what that says to me is this. I hope you're with me here. What this, if you come to church and you know that there is sin in your life, and you, you just said, that's, he's got to accept me this way with all the sin, uh, that's probably the surest evidence that you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. One of the surest signs that we have, have entered into a relationship with Jesus is that we're miserable when we sin. There, there is nobody unhappier than a true believer who is in sin. There is nobody more joyous than a true believer who has come back and said, Lord, at last, here I am. Here are my feet. Will you wash them? And he says, yes, and I will love you to the end. Well, I don't know if that is clear for you, but all I want to say to you is this. This is the experience of salvation until Jesus comes back again. And as he has that one day with them, he uses a, a picture to say, this is what it's like. You invite me into your life, I will never let you go. And yet, 
there are times when you need to come and confess your sins and make sure it's right. And when you know me, you're going to want me to do this. So this foot washing is a symbol. One, that, that Jesus loves you. And number two, that he loves you so much he won't leave you and me just as we are. He's going to clean us up. And when we are, he is done with us, you and I are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We're going to be complete in Christ. Hallelujah. It's all in these first 17 verses. Third point. Oh, I know time's about gone, but I need to get here. It's not only a declaration of his love and a symbol of what this salvation, sanctification process is like. But number three, when he took out this towel, it became an example to you and me of how we're supposed to live. I've done this for you so that you will do as I have done. That's what Jesus says here. And look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he said to them, uh, Do you understand what I've done to you? Well, I don't think that they had. And again, when I read the history of the church, I think that there are many who claim to be Christians who don't seem to have ever understood that Jesus became a servant and calls us to do the same. Do you realize that just in a few days before uh, this happened with foot washing, these disciples had broken out in a big fight among themselves about which one of them was going to be the greatest. Do you remember, were you here when Pastor Jeff did his message right after Christmas? He took up that text. They were there. Jesus was going to the cross to die in their place, and they're fighting about who's going to be the greatest. Uh, so Jesus takes out this towel and says, I, I just don't think you understand what it's all about. And, and I don't think they did. And, and I think the reason is this. They couldn't separate themselves from the values of their culture. Their whole culture would tell them the way to really have influence is to get power. The way to really be happy is to use your power and your money for yourself and to get even more money. Uh, the way to really be happy is to, to do things for yourself and get all those things that you want to do. So it all becomes self-focused. And Jesus is declaring, no, 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 that isn't the way God has made you. Uh, he has made you to find your happiness in serving others. <clears throat> what he is declaring is that the way for you and me to be happy, you got, you're with me here, aren't you? The way for you and me to be happy is to focus our lives on making other people happy. He is declaring to you, me that the way up, in terms of influence, uh, in, in, in terms of significance, the way up is down. That, that his greatest uh, act of influence and power was when he became a slave on a cross. That, that's what's gathered us here, right? And, and yet the world couldn't understand that. The disciples couldn't understand that. And I'll tell you, our, our world still doesn't understand it, does it? There is no other religion that says this. There is no other political philosophy that I've ever heard of that says this. Go down to the local bookstore and look at all the self-help books and you're not going to find anybody who says this. But here is Jesus just before he goes on to cross, doing, saying something that was so topsy-turvy in the eyes of the disciples. Um, and they, 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 he, he's saying, this is why I've come. 
serving you is what I'm about. Serving you is where I find my joy and I find my life. And you're going to do the same. Now tell me where you hear that anywhere else other than when you come to church. And yet we find it hard to accept too, don't we? Well, I was reading one of my favorite commentaries. It's called the Africa Bible Commentary. And the one who did the Gospel of John is one of my former students at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Dr. Samuel Ngawa. He's now at the Africa International University. He wrote about this. I put it up here so you can see it. He said, The concept of service to all, especially to those who are socially beneath oneself, is foreign to Africa. A chief serving his subjects would be unheard of. Yet that is what Jesus is telling us to do. If we would learn to do this, it would take away half the pain the African continent experiences from day to day. Do you think that's only in Africa? Now, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. Jesus is not saying that you and I should not work hard to get a PhD, to be successful in our sports or music to have a business and to run that well. He's not saying that, but he is saying this, that wherever he puts us, whatever position he gives you, whatever resource you have, the way you find real joy in that is when you use it to serve others. When you think about those people that he brings, and you can do this everywhere. Uh, You can do this in your family. Now, you know this, those who are younger here. You know that in the family, children, though you say, I don't have the authority of my parents, but children, you have the incredible ability to make your whole family life either a heaven or a hell. (laughs) Isn't that true? I mean, if your life is characterized by gratitude and joy, and the whole family life is so fantastic, but if it's all, well, he got this last time, well, I've got to get it this time, you never, husbands and wives, we can do that in our marriages too. Okay, so this is how Jesus was going to change the world, by coming and serving to the point of death. And he says, this is how I'm going to change the world through you. I'm going to send you out to do what I've done. So you and I are going to go out of this place and, and you know, you, you pull up the newspapers, you watch the news, and, and our world is a mess, Right? Have you ever thought about what has led to the kinds of messes like we've been seeing in France this past week? It really is when you think about it. You've got got to think. When you think about it, it is all uh, rooted in the philosophy of the kindergarten playground where one child gets mad at another child and calls that second child a name. The second child turns back to the first child and calls the first child a worse name. The first child hits the second child. The second child hits harder. The first child goes out and gets his friends and brings them back and really hits. The second one has bigger friends. And so it escalates and it escalates. And just read what the terrorists in France are saying. You know what they have done to us. We have a right to do this because of what they have done to us. And the same thing happens in our families and in our marriages and in our places of work. People say, he did this to me and it made it irritating for me. I have a right to do this for, to him. How is that ever going to stop? 
It just keeps escalating with retaliation. How, how is it ever going to stop? You know how it stops. The only way is for someone to come in and, and accept, somehow allow that, that retaliatory act to come against me and offer back not yet another hit, but to absorb it and to offer back forgiveness and love. It's the only way. And that's what Jesus did. Do you see it on the cross? All of our evil and all the sin of the world was thrown against the sinless Son of God and what He offers. He was the moral shock absorber of the world. Accepting it all and offering back forgiveness and love. And that's what changes our lives, right? It's Him doing that is what changes our lives and what brings us here today. And he says, that's what I send you out to do. You call me your Lord and Master, and that's what I am. And if I have used that place of authority to serve you, you go and serve others. So we go out into our neighborhood. We're going to find all of this stuff out there everywhere in our neighborhood that is wrong. Someone has to step in and say, I I don't know whose fault this is. Uh, It's all of our fault, I'm sure. But I'm here to to wash some dirty feet. (laughs) If we if we all have that attitude, what what a difference it's going to make here in the San Gabriel Valley. I'll have much more to say about this in coming weeks, but you've got to come back. Today I'm just going to leave you with those three things. Uh, Jesus is not physically here. What would he have you to know when you come to church? One, he wants you to know that he loves you. Hold on to that. Number two, he's going to love you to the end. So he won't leave you where you are. Uh, he, he wants you to come back and let him wash your feet. And then go out and live for him. He loves you to the end. and He loves you too much to leave you messed up and dirty. Uh, and number three, even as he's doing that work in you, he sends you out and tells you, here's how, here's how you live. Of all the things that you do, at the heart of, of being one who lives for Jesus, it is, I'm going to be a servant. Come to church and you say, where can I serve? And you find joy. You go out and you go to your family and you say, where can I serve? You find joy. Your life has significance. It has meaning. It has purpose. It has influence and impact. So then I really will just leave you with these thoughts from Jesus himself. Just let them go deep into your heart and your soul and your life. John 13, 14 to 17. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, do you now know these things? Blessed are you if you do them. It's to your blessing and to his glory. Amen.
Jeremy, you're going to be coming up, aren't you? Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, I pray I've been faithful to your word. We know these are significant parts of your word. Our Lord Jesus, showing us his love for us, demonstrating to us that he'll love us to the end and and sending us to have lives of influence and significance through service. Father, that's not the world's way. That's not our own human inclination. We're so drawn to live for ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you would change us even today. Make us more of what you would have us to be. Father, you have placed us as a church here in this place to further your glory. You have sent each one of us into our schools, places of work, our families, our communities. And you've told us to go as servants. Show us what that looks like. Where we welcome people who are unwelcomed. Where we smile to people who have never gotten one. Where we offer hope to the hopeless. Whatever it is, Father, teach us how to serve as you have served. Uh, For this we pray in Jesus' name.